Good morning, everybody. Isaiah 25.1, it says, Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have accomplished wonders. Plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. We serve a faithful God who is perfect. So let's praise him this morning.
control the switch, so don't get mad at me. Good morning and welcome to Great Commission Church. My name is Don McKenzie. I'm the financial administrator here. And we have a great service plan for us today. And you can follow along in this uh, worship guide. In here you'll see that we have upcoming events and you'll see the uh, order of service and there's a place to take notes. And if you're a guest here, you might find of a special interest some of the items that are on the back. Now being the fourth Sunday of the month, uh, you'll notice that our order of service is different on the fourth Sunday. Uh, the message will be coming up next. Then we'll worship with a couple of songs. We'll have the Lord's Supper and we'll conclude with a special time of prayer ministry. Now I'd like to draw your attention to the welcome card that's in your seat. And what I'd like for you to do is to hold on to this card until the end of the service. And as you leave, you can then drop it in one of the black metal boxes that's at the end of your uh, section, or you can drop it in the wooden offering boxes that are by the exit doors. And if you're a guest here, I would like to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And you could say hello back by just filling out the front part of this card. And also you might notice that there are some check boxes at the bottom of this card. And as we proceed through the service, if you feel like one of those applies to you, you can go ahead and check that. And then you can just drop it in one of the boxes at the end of the service. And also as a guest, we would like for you to stop at our kiosk that's in the lobby that says new here because we have a a gift that's waiting for you there. And then I also want to invite everyone, guests or members, to put a prayer request on the back because our staff and elders pray for every one of those. Now, before we receive our offering this morning, I would like to share an embarrassing moment that I had on the first Saturday of 2024, just a few weeks ago. I was happily printing out my first offering check for 2024 when I looked down at it and went, uh-oh, this amount is not right. Because see, I had completely forgotten that back in November, my wife and I had agreed that we were going to increase our giving for 2024 because we wanted to be a part of fulfilling this huge vision that God has given us for this year. And so we had filled out a commitment card. Like most of you, we had put the amount that we were going to increase, and then we happily dropped it in the offering on that special Sunday. But I couldn't remember the amount that we said we were going to increase. And so I asked my wife, Phyllis, and uh, she couldn't remember either. And that's when she said, oh, I know why don't you call the church financial administrator and ask him, oh, wait, you are the church financial administrator. And of course, that's how the fight started, Steve. We didn't actually fight, but then I did remember that I put everybody's commitment card for 2024 in a spreadsheet. And so I had to go and get the spreadsheet and look it up and see what we said that we were going to do, and I made that adjustment. And then it hit me, Lord, please don't let me be the only one who forgot about their 2024 commitment. And if you forgot or you can't remember the amount, contact me 
and I will help you with that. And if you do electronic recurring giving, you might need to go in and update that if you're changing it for 2024. Hey, aren't you glad to be a part of the ch a church where the Lord is saving people and, and changing our lives? I love being a part of Great Commission Church, and I'm sure you'll join with me in the thought that, Lord, we're so thankful that we're able to give. So as I pray, uh, the ushers can come forward as we prepare to receive our offering for today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. If it were not for him, we would have no hope. And because of him, we're so thankful. Would you bless this offering for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom, we ask in your name. Amen. As you're finding Isaiah chapter 40 in your Bibles, let me introduce myself. I'm Trevor Davis. I'm GCC's pastor. We have two more Sundays left of our kickoff series of the year, 29 Days of Promise. And we will be thinking about one of the promises of God in Isaiah 40, a very familiar one. Uh, but first, I want to introduce this from the great Hall of Fame of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11, uh, that lists the travail of the saints of God in the Old Testament, and they end up making up the great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12 who see our lives. Hebrews 11:36 through the beginning of verse 38, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Today, the man empowered by the Holy Spirit to write Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah is one of those we just read about. And so, as you find Isaiah 40, I'm going to survey it quickly today. This is not a full sermon, but it's not a sermonette either. It's somewhere in between. 
You're going to hear from me again at the end of the service with some more teaching. But by the time Isaiah makes his prophecy in Isaiah 40, the one that's in your laps or on the screen, uh, he's, he's become an old man. He's in his twilight years. He's uh, King Hezekiah of Judah was the monarch when Isaiah was doing lots of his ministry, and he was especially influenced by the prophet. Hezekiah died in 698 B.C., and Isaiah was 72 years old at the time. And when King Hezekiah died, it, it split Isaiah's ministry in half. For the first 35 chapters of Isaiah, it covered about 40 years, and Isaiah was a fiery preacher, a prophet of God who spoke from heaven. And he spoke with an edge, and he, he warned the people of God of coming judgment. And in the first 35 chapters of Isaiah, it was this nation of Assyria who eventually uh, invades the northern kingdom of Israel and takes them captive. And the inhabitants of Judah barely escape, and then Hezekiah dies. And when he dies, he turns the throne over to his son. His son's name was Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he ascended the throne, and Manasseh, his entire reign of about 55 years in Judah, all of it was in defiance to God. You've never heard of a worse tyrant than Manasseh in all of the Bible or all of world history. He was among the most fearsome and godless men who ever had authority on earth. He was terrible. He reinstituted Canaanite worship in Israel. He filled Israel with occult practices, with astrology, worshiping the stars, and child sacrifice. He also silenced the Lord's prophets and sidelined all the faithful priests. In fact, 2 Kings 21.9 says, Manasseh seduce them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. In other words, God had all the Canaanite nations destroyed by Joshua in the conquest, and the writer of 2 Kings says Manasseh made Israel worse after that. Because of Manasseh's abominations, God announced that a second foreign invader would soon swoop into Jerusalem and take the people captive, we know that as the Babylonian captivity, Babylon comes. But my question is, if Manasseh was so bad and Isaiah was such a godly man, what happened to Isaiah? And the best historical evidence that we have suggests that Isaiah died a martyr's death at the command of Manasseh and he was sawn in two. Echoes of Hebrews 11. But then my question was this. What in the world made Manasseh so wicked? I mean, what was his dad like? You can read about Hezekiah, and, and he wasn't just totally wicked. He had moments with God. It, it's, he had such moments with God that God added 15 years to his life at the end when he got sick. Was Manasseh wicked because his own father was careless and short-sighted? That's the question that formed in my mind when I read this verse. Here's Hezekiah's reaction when Isaiah said, look, I'm getting ready to preach to the people and tell them that because of their rebellion, God's going to send Babylon in and take them all away. Here's what Hezekiah said in Isaiah 39.8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Say what? For he said, 
at least there will be peace and truth in my days. What do I care about some negative prophecy and some consequences to my people if I'm going to already be dead? As long as there's peace and happiness in my days, I don't care about what happens to my children and their children in the future. That helps me understand Manasseh a little better. Since judgment was coming on Judah, and since Judah was under the insufferable rule of Manasseh, Isaiah changed his ministry. When we get to Isaiah 40, our text today, Isaiah's days of fiery preaching with his fingers in people's faces and commands to repent are over. Because he says, it's too late. They're going to begin to reap what they've sown. After 35 years of, and chapters of direct preaching, the time for warning was over. And Isaiah would spend the rest of his ministry, chapters 40 through 66, speaking words of consolation to the children of Israel because they were soon to reap the full consequences of their apostasy. And during their dark days of captivity, they would need hopeful words to remember. So the idea is this. Isaiah says, since it's all getting ready to go wrong for you people, I'm just going to preach encouraging sermons so that when you're suffering in a foreign land because of forgetting God, you'll know that God's last word is never judgment. It's always salvation. And you'll, you'll hold on to these words. That's why Bible scholars call Isaiah 40 through 66, those 27 chapters, the book of comfort. The prophet's new message is for people whose whole world has been shattered. And I know that I preach to those of you each Sunday, and it changes from week to week. Maybe last Sunday was a day of praise and thanksgiving in your heart, and maybe some things happened in the, since the last time we met, and it just all went wrong. And maybe everything fell apart, and may, maybe, maybe you're reaping what you've sown, and whether you're humble enough to admit that or not, you're in a mess and it's dark. And if that's the case, God has some comfort for you today in these verses. Because of their rebellion, they had been stolen from their homeland. And chapter 40 makes the case for why they can trust God even in the worst of times. And so here's the survey of it. Because our verses are going to be 27 through 31, the end of the chapter. But I gotta, I'm going to get you to the Shire, but we've got to go through Mordor first, right? And so here it is. Verse 1, Isaiah says, I want you to ne don't ever forget you're God's people. If, you're, if you want to look uh, in, in your Bible, you'll see this. I'm going to summarize some of these things. In verse 1, God, uh, God tells, God, uh, in verse 1, Isaiah says to them, when you're in Babylon, you've got to remember you're God's people. In verse 2, he says, they've been forgiven. Their iniquity is pardoned. In verses 3 through 5, God says, I will bring you home. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verses 6 through 8, his word can be trusted. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And that verse was so meaningful, Peter quoted it in the New Testament. Verse 9, such comfort must be shouted confidently and fearlessly from the mountaintops. The verse says, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Verses 10 and 11. 
Like a warrior shepherd, God will bring gifts to the suffering people that will make their travail and the of their exile vanish like a dream. Behold, his reward is with him. In verse 12, we learn about him that he measured and created the universe as effortlessly as a master carpenter. He measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. In verses 13 and 14, he is infinitely wise. Who has been his counselor? Who has instructed him? In verses 15 and 17, he is totally sovereign. The verse says, the nations are as a drop in a bucket to him. In verse 16, he's worthy of more worship than we could ever give. Lebanon lacks enough animals for all the burnt offerings that are due him. In verses 18 through 20 and verse 25, nothing compares to Yahweh. The verse says, to whom then will you liken God? In verses 22 through 24, he's enthroned above the circle of the earth. Take that, flat earthers, amen? And then verse 26, listen to this. He keeps the starry host by his power so that not one is missing. Who brings out their host by number and he calls them all by name. You know, when you come to church, you should leave thinking higher thoughts of God than when you came in. And if you look into his word, you'll think those thoughts. But my question is, if God's like that, if he's like everything I just summarized for us, if he's like what's on the pages of Isaiah 40 in your Bible, how in the world could the children of Israel doubt his ability to fulfill his promises to them? That's the question. You want to know what the answer is? Truth is not so easy to believe when our world is in ruins. And in the midst of suffering, we can forget everything we've ever been sure of in life because the pain has distracted us from what's real and what's true. And that's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to come out of it. And you come out of it because the Bible, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So now you're ready for our verses today. Are you ready? We're just going to read 27 through 31. This is our promise. God says to the children of Israel as they are in captivity, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Father, it is my concerned prayer today that by your promises, you'll lift our brothers and our sisters out of their suffering, out of their trials, out of their heartbreak, out of their anger, out of their resentment. You'll set 
You'll set their feet on a rock today, the rock of Jesus Christ, and you'll renew their strength, change their heart. In Jesus' name, the Faithfield Church said, Amen. that's page one of my notes. That's all you got left. You need to say thank you to me today because if you need me to talk to you for an hour, I don't even have to prepare for that. If you need me to talk to you for 25 minutes, that takes a lot more work, but you're worth it. All right, here's the outline. I'm going to ask two questions and answer them for the rest of the way, and it's going to be our application. What are their twin complaints? When they're in Babylon, and it's all gotten out of hand, and they finally decide to talk to God, what do they say? Complaint number one, he does not see my life. The verse says, my way is hidden from the Lord. My way is hidden from the Lord. I think their mindset was something like this. In view of all that has happened to us, can we really believe that God still cares for us? Because we don't live in our homeland. We are under the thumb of a horrible dictator. Some of us are starving to death. We have no freedom. Many of us have died. Life is horrible. In light of all that, why would we believe that he loves us? Isn't it true that we're just too small and insignificant for him to notice us now? I mean, if he cared in the past, big deal. Wouldn't his commitment to us have ceased after all that we've done and been through? I'll bet some of you have secretly thought that about yourself. And you looked at the way your life's going and you're not happy with it. And you're too, you're too prideful to say it out loud. But in the deep recesses of your mind... It's all God's fault. I mean, you've been taught that he's all-powerful. He could have he made things turn out differently for you. And he didn't. And that just fails my definition of love, preacher. I get it. How easy it is to say we believe that God has infinite knowledge. How simple it is to believe that, we, to, that God has all power and at the same time feel that he is unable or disinterested in meeting our own personal needs. We say with the children of Judah, my way is hidden from the Lord. He doesn't see my life. Here's their second complaint. He will not hear my plea. He will not hear my plea. My just claim is passed over by my God. Not only can he not see me, even if he could, he doesn't hear me. Isaiah anticipated that. We're reading Isaiah 40. Isaiah 59 comes after Isaiah 40, right? You remember your numbers in Sesame Street? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. The Lord answers the, you don't hear me anymore. Why, why don't you hear me, God? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but... Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Why doesn't God hear me? Uh, Isaiah 66, 18, uh, Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If you want God to take the earplugs out of his ears, you come before him and say, God, what is it that I need to repent of? Because you are holy 
and I'm not just talking with some coworker or some supervisor at work that I can tell to kiss off and walk out the door. You are holy God. My first year in seminary, I had to memorize Isaiah 59 too. Your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear so that I could share that with sinners on how to be saved. It's not that God won't hear. It's that you don't want him to. If you do want him to, take what's between you and him today and hand it over to him. That's their twin complaints. He doesn't see my life and he doesn't hear my plea. What's the prophet's response? The prophet's response is how you apply this message to your life. Here's what he says in in summary. Learn who God is and learn what he's like so that you can hope in him. Learn who God is and what he's like so that you can hope in him. How's this sermon going? You guys, is it clear? We good? Everybody still saved? You, You all right? What is God like? Who is he? Well, three things, three items in that list as the verses finish up in Isaiah 40. The first thing is he's strong in himself. If you, you need to know who he is and what he's like, he is strong in himself. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, Yahweh the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The first verse of the Bible is the most difficult one to ever believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you settle that one, the rest of it's easy. You are not here by chance or some nonsense called natural selection. A big bang didn't create you, a big God did. And he's strong in himself. And he doesn't get tired. And you can study about him the rest of your life and not even scratch the surface. His ways are unsearchable. Yes? We, know, we believe this about God. But then the next thing's easy to believe. Not only is he strong in himself, he, he passes that strength to the weary. You see, not only is he a powerful God, he's a good God. And he cares for those who suffer. Even those who suffer who have rejected his son. He causes his son to shine and his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. So he's strong in himself. He passes that strength to the weary. And lastly, and most importantly, and everybody look at me, he's worth the wait. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's the promise. There's there's the fourth of our fifth, 29 days of promise right there. And as I finish this, I want to tell you what that means. Uh, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength was a Bible drills verse for me when I was a young Baptist lad. It's always meaningful to me. I'm, I'm glad I had parents that said, you know, we're going to get you in a church. We're going to make you go to things that maybe as a kid you don't want to. So you'll learn truths that will never leave you when you're older. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to have your strength renewed? What does it mean to mount, mount up with wings like eagles? 
What does it mean to run and not be weary and walk and not faint? Well, many of the terms in verses 25 through 31 in Isaiah are military words. And because they're military words, they connect this passage back to the invasion of foreign armies that I mentioned earlier, Assyria and Babylon. And we read in Isaiah 5.27 that when the Assyrian army marched into Israel, they never got tired, they didn't stumble as they swept through the nation and took them all captive. They were strong, they were fit, they were in shape, they were ready, and they pulverized Israel. And in the same way, God says at the end of Isaiah 40, just as the long march of the Assyrian army did not exhaust them, so Judah captives in Babylon, as you sit there in the darkness and you cry and you suffer and you listen to your stomach tell you that you need something to eat and you hear your baby's cries and you listen to the laboring breath of your dying loved ones in a foreign land and you think, I'll never make it back home. You need to know that Yahweh's last words, never judgment, it's always salvation. And he's going to get you home. And before you think your body's too weak, that you'll never make it. He says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And when the exiles start out for home, God's going to get them there. What a comforting thought that must have been. They would be able to walk many hundreds of miles without growing weary. They would even feel like running along the way. They shall run and not be weary. And they'll, they'll return to the promised land, and it'll feel like they are soaring on eagle's wings. You tell me that God's promises aren't comforting to suffering people. The key, though, is to wait on the Lord, and your English translation may have to hope in the Lord. Wait on and hope in are both legitimate translations of this Hebrew word. And my last word on that is this. To, to wait on the Lord means, or to hope in the Lord means, to place your trust in God who never disappoints and who never puts his people to shame. There's your promise. God expects you to believe it, to learn what he's like, and to get your hope back. Take out this card for me and humor me. Now, we have a standing competition in our staff. And it is whoever is trying to get people to mark cards, we count them every week. And we see who the congregation loves the most. <laughs> and I want to suggest to you that you might get to move on up to a better neighborhood in heaven if... I win this week. And so I'm asking everybody in the room, put something on this card. Would you look at what's next for me? What's next for me? Get to know people at Great Commission Church. Some of you are new and you like what you see on Sunday mornings, but you haven't gotten inside yet to see what we're like. If you mark that box, we're going to get in touch with you and show you how you can do that. We'll give you an easy on-ramp. Trust Jesus for the first time. Some of you just heard about a great God and wondering What's he like and what can he do for me? We just want to sit down and open the Bible and show you what the Bible says about how you can have eternal life. Mark that box. Rediscover my faith in Jesus. You know what we've learned over a long period of ministry? Is that people say, 
I've been away from the Lord in the church for a long time, and I'm, I'm really uncomfortable coming back. Well, we want to help you with that. Just mark rediscover my faith in Jesus. Some of you believed recently and you haven't been baptized. Mark that box. We want to sit down with you and talk to you about baptism. Some of you would say, man, this is my church, and I'm glad, but if you're not a member, I'm not your pastor yet, and this congregation is not your congregation. You're, you're just dating us, and we want you to marry us. And so become a member of Great Commission. If you mark that box, we'll help you with that process. There's a friend you might need to invite next week to hear the truth of, of the message and just mark that box, write their name. We'll start praying for you about that person. And then there's an empty blank, and that's anything you want to communicate to us, any need that you have. Mark these things. I want to win. And we want to minister to you. That's why we do it. Let's bow for prayer today. Father, would you take this first part of our service and the teaching and the truth that has been delivered would you minister to the saints of God by the truth of your word? I pray that the seeds planted here by this promise today will not be stolen away by the enemy, Satan, but they'll bear fruit for Jesus' sake. Amen. We want to respond to what we just heard with, with some worship. So we started this morning with, with praise. God, we want, to, we want to praise you, and now we want to enter into a time of worship through, through singing in response to the message we just heard about this faithful God who, who fulfills his promises to his people. So let's stand and sing some, some worship songs together and, then, and just stay in a time of of awe for our King. Let's sing. No longer I who live, but Christ in me.
word takes on flesh and a soul finds faith. Where the unfulfilled are satisfied And the unknown scars are reconciled It's an open door to a brand new life Up close in the presence of the Savior I just want to be in the room Want to be in the room see you heal, deliver, and redeem your children. So we ask you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can have a seat. We are about to participate in what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper. As members of Great Commission Church, we enjoy being reminded that Christ Jesus died for our sins. 
The Bible says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. The Lord's Supper is an activity where we rejoice together that we still believe in Jesus. We believe He is the one who helps us to keep loving God and loving each other. We proclaim He is alive and coming back one day. If you are a guest here today and share this saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you are not a Christian or prefer to do this at your own local church, you can simply remain in your seat and observe how we do this. Unbaptized children can come to the table, but we ask that you withhold the elements and use this as a time to spark their questions and continue your gospel conversations with them. At this time, our ushers will release groups by rows.
So we started a new liturgy in 2024 with the first Sunday of the month being Global Offering Sunday and the second and third Sundays of the month being kind of regular church Sundays, normal 
normal order of service. And the fourth Sunday of the month, we've called Prophetic Ministry Sunday. So this is something we've been working on, training, studying for, uh, in, in my case, uh, probably first came head to head with this, this truth in the Bible back in 2002 when I went to a training conference in Colorado Springs. And with the books I've read and the scriptures, having studied that, I always knew that there was, a, there was a lack of balance in the ministry that I had experienced and that I, that I wanted to lead for myself. It seems that the growing evangelical churches in the world, and especially in America, are divided in two camps. There's the word churches and the spirit churches. And the word churches are the, are the Bible churches, and they, they, they bring their Bibles to church, and their pastor preaches from the Bible. And it's Bible, 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 and God's word is, is exalted uh, with his name as it should be. And, and we've probably been a word church for the most of our history. Uh, but then there's also spirit churches. And spirit churches are going to be more along the charismatic and Pentecostal side. And, and they, they're like experience, 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 and the Holy Spirit and fire and excitement and tears and prayers. And, and it's almost like never shall the twain meet. But when you read the New Testament, you realize that, that it has always been God's plan for churches to be balanced in word and spirit, to have a high view of Scripture and teach the Bible, and also welcome in, expect, and, be, and experience the power of God's Spirit in the midst. And that's exactly what you read in the New Testament letters, and of course it's what you read in the book of Acts. So this last uh, fall, we've been kind of training some leaders since the summer, and last fall I went to a conference in Oklahoma City with some men who are theologically like me, and they are Bible scholars, so I trust them, they're published authors, but they are on this train of we need to be balanced between word and spirit. We don't need to go get, uh, get off too far on this side or this side on the pendulum. We need to be in the middle. And at that conference, I was in a breakout session, and this was two weeks before my father died. And I was still suffering from some illness that I picked up last February on a mission trip to Kenya, Africa with the church. And I never get sick, but I was sick for that whole time. And it was all, it was, it was, I'd gone to the doctors, they couldn't help me. And in this breakout session, a lady I'd never met who never laid eyes on me, um, turned and gave a prophetic word. And she said, this is either for a, a woman named Angela or your spouse is named Angela. Now, you know, my wife is Angie, but her name is Angela Downs Davis. And I thought, well, that's interesting. There were some women in the room. Nobody raised their hand named Angela. And so this, she said, this is a word I think the Lord may have given me to encourage someone whose spouse is named Angela. So I go. And then she, kept, and she said, I had another word for you. And she said, it's about a pastor named Trevor. And so she had my full attention. And she said, she said, I got these words on different days, put them in my iPhone. I've been praying and this morning, it was as if the Holy Spirit said, say those two words together and see if there's somebody you can pray for. So when the, when the, the uh, session was over, I went over to Kendra's line, and she prayed for me and prayed that I would be healed and prayed that God would minister to me in my dad's last days. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the devil do that? Okay, so we're going to go ahead and shut that door. And let me ask you, is, is God merciful enough to minister to me? And he's merciful enough to minister to you. Can he do it with somebody that's never met me? Does, does he have that kind of knowledge? He does. We had, a, we had a freedom conference this last October. It was finishing up 10 weeks of a small group study that we all did in our small groups. And we, we've been training some people that have seen and had some prophetic gifting. And at that conference, 
uh, up here at the microphone, I let some of the prophetic people just read some words that they've been writing down in the prayer time. And one gal read a word. She said, I, this, I just had this image. It was a man in a blue jacket, and he has a heart, a heart issue. And she said, I'm not a doctor, but the, the words microvalve prolapse came to my mind. And I just wrote that down, man in a blue jacket, microvalve prolapse. And I, it's been on my mind for two weeks. been praying for that person every day for two weeks. And when, we, when she got finished reading the words and I opened up the altar for prayer, a guy came to her and said, I'm the guy in the blue jacket, and I have a heart issue and I've had it for years. It's called microvalve prolapse. Would you pray for me? And so that she and the prayer team prayed for this man. And, and the next day, this microvalve prolapse was causing his heart to uh, give him trouble. He would sit up in the bed, he said to me, in the middle of the night with his chest pains. And he was just a sick man with a, with a, with a bad heart. He said, after they prayed for me, and he told me this right before this service because I wanted the update. He said, after they prayed for me, I haven't woken up in the middle of the night with that since the Lord has given me a measure of healing in a place that I was suffering from. Now, let me ask you, did the devil do that? Does that sound like something God would do for his children? This is what prophetic ministry is about, and it's in the New Testament. So I'm introducing prophetic ministry today, and I'm saying that the Lord wants us to be a word and a spirit church so that we teach from the Bible accurately and with power, and we also pray for people, and the Holy Spirit comes and he helps the church. The reason I'm introducing prophetic ministry today is to help you. Not to be awesome. God's already awesome, and we don't need any acclaim. So, but, but this is going to be new for you if you're Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, that's your background. If you're charismatic, you're going, finally, right? But both, both groups need help. And so I want to show you from the Bible what this is, and my number one goal is to glorify God, and my number two goal is to build up the church, and that is the only reason that we're here. So in the New Testament, they're a group called prophets, and they are not like the prophets in the Old Testament. They're not like Isaiah that we just preached about. In the New Testament, everyone can prophesy to build up the church if you're a believer. Wayne Grudem calls the gift of prophecy speaking human words, to report something that God brings to mind. Now, all of you in your Christian life have operated in this. You just didn't know it was prophetic. All of you have said at one time or another, the Lord is leading me to do this. The Lord is guiding me to do that. Yes, the Lord led me to this church. The Lord led me to this person to marry. The Lord guided me to this job. The Lord led me to this school for my children. The Lord led me to this workout routine. Whatever it is, you've already been a prophet in your own. And it didn't bother you. You didn't think it was weird? You didn't think that God is in the heavens and he doesn't say anything. You think God's a good communicator and you already think he communicates to you. You just didn't know what to call it. So, R.T. Kendall was the man who replaced the famous preacher at Westminster Chapel in London, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And for the first four years of R.T. Kendall's pastorate after Martin Lloyd-Jones retired, he had to write out his sermons, hand the manuscript to Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, and have Martin Lloyd-Jones approve his sermon before he preached it. R.T. Kendall is awesome. R.T. Kendall wrote that prophecy is the immediate and direct witness of the Holy Spirit. That is a great definition. And so a prophetic word is when the Holy Spirit makes a person aware of something. It's when the Holy Spirit makes a person aware of something. It's a unique bit of information about the present and the future. And the New Testament teaches that prophecy 
is a major outlet by which God communicates to churches and to believers. So it's important. In fact, in the three, li- in, in the three lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the only gift that shows up in all three lists is the gift of prophecy. So it's a big deal to God. That repetition alone suggests that God expected the gift of prophecy to be regularly employed in the ministry of local churches to build them up and to show aspects of his will to the people. And what I'm getting ready to show you is that men and women and believing children, all of you can hear from God and all of you can responsibly report what you believe that you heard. And you might get it wrong and it's okay because we all grow up learning how to communicate better as we get older. So I'm going to give you a list of things that prophecy is. I'm going to give you the verses that back that up. Then I'm going to have uh, two or three of our prophetic people that have been praying this month and writing things down, and they've given me some words, and I've picked the ones I want them to read, and they're just going to read it. After they read it, I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss the service, and then we're all going to come for prayer not just the people who the prophetic words were for. Because on Prophetic Ministry Sunday, we're saying, hey, it's the day that we have long prayer lines. It's the day that we come and present ourselves before the Lord and say, God, how can you help me and minister to me by the hands and the prayers of the people in my church, not just my preacher and my singer? Does that make sense? Okay, so number one, I want you to know that prophecy is democratic. Democracy in its its, uh, most basic form means everybody gets to play. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a vote. Democracy is democratic. Uh, Joel 2 is, is repeated in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's Pentecost sermon. And he says, when the kingdom of God comes on you, here's what happens. Acts two seventeen and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters. So how many genders? Two. Both, all both of them, right? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. You never get too old for this. On my men's servants and my maid servants, males and females, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Prophecy is democratic. Number two, prophet. And I can look if if I go too fast because I'm limited on time. You can get my notes. You just email me. I'll send them to you for free in a word document. Number two, prophecy is both commanded and favored. God commands us to do this, and he favors it when we do. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love. That's a command, yes? And desire spiritual gifts, but, and here's the favorite part, especially that you may prophesy. God says, if you're going to pick one, if you're going to pick one, pick prophecy. Number two, number three, the gift of prophecy is for the benefit of others. My colleague Michael Miller says, here's my definition of prophecy. Prophecy is a time to hear from God for others. Prophecy is for the benefit of others. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the major verse about it. The one who prophesies speaks three things. Edification, that means to build up. Exhortation, that means to encourage. And comfort, that means to console. Two men. You see that? Two men and women, it's two all people. The one who prophesies Builds up, encourages, and consoles people for others' sake. Number four, prophecy helps the congregation to build up the church, to build up itself. This is where everybody gets to play. For the longest time, the the, the churches that were more word churches in our culture have said, 
The only spiritual gifts we need are teaching and maybe singing, and we don't even find that in the gift list. If we, if we just had the teachers at church, we'll be fine. And God, you're going to see that God says, no, I've given all the believers gifts, and we need all of them for your gatherings and for your meetings and for your small groups. So 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul says, how is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm. That's a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation. That's a prophetic word. Has an interpretation of the tongues. And you're like, man, that's too much stuff for church. And then, then Paul goes, let all these things be done for edification. Let all things be done to build up the church. And the idea behind that verse is you need more than music and a message. God expects for the 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 work the, God expects for the members of the church to do the work of the ministry. The next in the list is this. Prophecy is limited in public to maintain order and reduce confusion. 1 Corinthians 14:29 Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So prophetic words can be judged, and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, they're supposed to be, um, they're, they're, you're, supposed to weigh, you're, you're supposed to weigh them and hold on to the good so that you can get these wrong, and here's how we judged them today. We're judging them coming in and going out. I judged them by reading what the folks have been writing down and picking the ones I wanted to be read. So the first filter is me, and the second way that these words will be judged today are by you. Because some of you are going to hear some of these things and some of you are going to go, my goodness, that's me. And when that happens, God's going to come and sit right down by you in your chair and say, there's no way that person could have known that about you, but I did. And I'm letting you know that I have some special grace for you today in the prayer line. Come and get prayer today. So it's for maintaining order, reducing confusion. So we'll just have two or three today. Next, I want you to know that prophecy can be done well. It doesn't have to be a mess, and we don't have to have excesses and nonsense. 1 Corinthians 14, 31 through 33. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means it's not ecstatic, and they can be quiet, and they can talk at different times. And the whole reason is, for God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God says, I want the gift of prophecy in your church, and I don't want it to be confusing, and so we're going to go with simple and done well. Next, prophecy is not on the same level as Scripture. If there's a, if there's a prophetic pyramid, what we're doing today is at the bottom, and there's seven levels, and the Scriptures are at the top, and the Scriptures govern all of it. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, in your church, when people get prophetic giftings, and the Lord begins to use them, and you get amazed by it, you don't need to think, man, we don't need the word. We need prophecy. The Apostle Paul says, if you think you're a prophet, then you need to acknowledge that what I write is scripture and be underneath it. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, then let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. You're always under the authority of scripture. And then lastly, and maybe, some, maybe for some of you that are a little nervous, you need to see this one. This is for you, and it's also for all of us. Prophecy shall be governed. Let all things be done decently and in order. We're not going to swing to the right or to the left. We're not going to swing to all word and no spirit. We're not going to swing to all spirit. 
and no word. We're doing Bible. By the way, you might hear something in the next few months, and it might be for you, and it might help you in a life decision you're making. I want to make this disclaimer very clear as the last thing I say today. Never, ever make a decision about a direction to take in life based solely on a prophetic word. All right, here's why. Here's what a prophetic word should do for you about a life decision. A prophetic word can confirm something that you've already been thinking about or it can confirm a leading you've already had that's under counsel of the elders and spiritual leaders. If God will come behind you and say, confirm you with that, that's good. Or a prophetic word can cause you to pray about something that you haven't considered yet, but you don't make a decision based only on a prophetic word. And we... we um, we put that disclaimer clearly in place. And so we're excited today because we're going to pray for a lot of believers today. Whether, and whether a prophetic word, and there's only going to be two or three read today, whether a prophetic word is for you or, or not, you need to know you're sitting around believers in our church that are ready to come be prayed for because they need to be prayed for about other things in their life no matter what. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And when I pray and when I say amen, it's going to dismiss the service. We're leaving this back corner empty so that those doors, you can easily get in and get out. But in every other corner of the room, we're going to have some of our prayer ministry team situated there for certain needs. All right? And so, here are the needs. Healing. If you need some physical healing today or some inner healing, you're going to be in the back right of the room. In the front right over here is going to be for, for people who need to be encouraged and consoled in your life. I could use some encouragement, some consolation from the Lord. You're going to be here. Over here is in the front left is wisdom and discernment. You need some wisdom or discernment about decisions you're making or what you're going through. You're going to get prayed for that. And right down here, I'm going to pray for people about their spiritual gifts that God would make them stronger in your life or give some to you. So I'm going to go over those again in a second. Before I'm going to have our three prophetic people come now and read these words. And I want you to prayerfully listen. And then after they read, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. So Billy, Alex, and Stephanie, you guys come on. <clears throat> and you know what order to go in. These folks have been praying and writing things down for a month for you. Okay. So uh, January 10th, oh, now I'm on. January 10th, uh, the evening of January 10th, had an odd, throbbing, stabbing pain in the top of my right thumb. Uh, and then it was communicated to me that that's not a normal pain for me, so I think it's for someone else. So if that's for you, uh, I'll actually be here and, and would love to pray for you. So if you had that, and that's you, come for Billy for prayer. Um, January 1st, uh, I felt a spirit of competitiveness is plaguing someone or multiple people, causing division and anger within a relationship. Uh, on January 6th, I got someone is struggling with accepting that they are worthy of what Jesus did for them. They are too bad of a person. They have done too much to be forgiven. Um, on January the 4th and on January the 7th, I saw a set of hands shaking, like with tremors. Um, January the 15th, the word anemia popped into my mind, and then three different times in the month of January, um, I saw 
different colors moving together and mixing together before my eyes. And then the third time that it happened to me, I, the word migraine came to my mind. So you heard about that throbbing pain, about those migraines, about the spirit of competitiveness, the spirit of feeling unworthy. And um, so some of these may hit, some of them may be random, it doesn't matter. Uh, but for some of you, that may have been, oh my goodness, the Lord knows what's going on in my life. And if, that, if any of those apply to you, then for sure, when we come up here for prayer, I want to recommend that you go to the person that read that word, and there may be some grace for them to pray for you today, and it might help those needs today. All right, let's bow for prayer. And let's stand and bow for prayer. Let's stand up and bow our heads for prayer. When we open up these prayer lines, healing in the back right. In the front right, encouragement and consolation. In the front left, wisdom and discernment. Right down here, uh, I'll be praying for people about their spiritual gifts and imparting some of those to you, and there'll be a general prayer line right here. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would begin to minister to the church on Prophetic Ministry Sunday. God, I pray that you would empower this time of prayer, showing your love for the saints today, and that we, we've heard your voice and we've called on your name, and you have invaded our lives and helped us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.